Um, so last week we talked about talking about politics on social media and one of the reasons that it was, we, it was important to learn how to have productive conversations about politics on social media is because those kind of conversations, especially as easily contentious as they get these days, reflects on what's really a more important part of our lives in terms of being representatives of the church, being representatives of Christ, and how people perceive Christians and our religion from how we talk about politics. So today we're going to take it one step further and talk about how we talk about religion on social media because that gets just as contentious just as easily as politics does. So here's two um, two quotes to keep in mind as we get started. First from Romans 12.10 Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And then from Charles Spurgeon The easiest work in the world is to find fault. So here are a few things, uh, speaking of Chris Gonzalez, an example from him. These are just some different examples, three of them from Otter Creek, one of them not, of ways that uh, people that we're probably, most of us are probably familiar with, use the Bible and talk about religion on social media. Let's, uh, and I want today to be uh, probably even m much more discussion oriented than a lot of our classes. What what are some ways that you see people talking about religion, talking about spiritual matters, talking about the Bible on social media, good examples or bad examples, or maybe ways that you try to do it? You can start, because I know you have something, and if you'll say something, it'll get them started. <laughs> so, two things. I have an uncle who is um, semi-retired. I don't know that he's preaching full-time anymore. Um, minister down in Texas. And over the last two or three weeks, he has started just posting a daily devotional where he writes a daily devotional on his Facebook page and shares it with all of his friends. And then I have another friend um, who lives, I think they're in Texas now, um, and she just simply posts a scripture of the day. She just tags it SOTD and writes a scripture and just leaves it there. And yeah. then, you know, and even more. So. Okay. Anybody else? Any? Are, do any of you talk about religion or talk about spiritual matters a lot online? Okay, you're shaking. You're giving me a big shake of the head. Why not? Private, and this just like makes me feel so ick when I see anybody else post anything. Like we don't put pictures of our children on social media. I know that we are more private than most, but when people like write out prayers and comments and things, it, I just feel appalled. I just think of just like. Pay your room inside, you know. Okay. I have a really hard time with it. And I know that that's just me, and I can see that other people have great intentions, and people who read will say, well, I really appreciate it. And I can respect that that's my personal, you know, take on things. But I, I really have a hard time with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and, and what you bring up is a great point that I really can't emphasize enough that when, when you are having 
conversations online, you are having them not only with the people that you're actually conversing with, but you're having them in front of a lot of people that are coming from a lot of different vantage points and a lot of different perspectives. And so what you think is a very, um, you know, some, something very devout, devout, something very non-controversial, somebody else can see it in a totally different way. And so you always have to be aware of the people that are watching silently and that people are, people are seeing what you post publicly in ways that you don't realize they are. It's almost like having a conversation in, uh, you know, during, during a cocktail party. And, and I think that's probably more true for me for just the prayers that are posted. I don't really mind devotional content or other kind of things that people have written about their perspective on something. Sure. Okay. Anybody else? I know you talk about religion online, Richard. I don't always see it, but I know you do. I do. <laughs> I, just, I just posted thanks to Josh this morning. Just thank you. Thank you, Brian. <coughs> that was one of his closing comments. Okay. Don't give up. Uh, I posted that. <laughs> so people already responded to it. So, uh, and then uh, I posted one time about uh, there was an argument about discussion about whether or not Jesus <coughs> was created by Constantine. So there was a line back and forth on that issue. And so I had to present what I know and knew about the subject. Sure. So do you do you have a sense of what goes really well for your conversations and when your conversations get into trouble online? I think it gets into trouble. Uh, well, just uh, last week, the police officer that uh, that supported his the police chief of Philadelphia. For arresting the two black men at Starbucks. Right. And so I posted that comment about it. And a lot of folks agreed, but what harshed <coughs> on was when a friend of mine in Virginia, who worked for a big accounting firm, he's, he's also featured in the Washington Business Journal, and he commented, and it's an African American guy. And he commented that the police were simply doing this job and he supported the police for what they were doing, arresting the guy. And it was a firestorm after that. Yeah. Uh, people criticized him for not agreeing with his position. And then he got personal. So I had to tell I had to tell people that, you know, you don't have to get personal to make that point. Right. Right. So, but it was it was it was a powerful. Oh, I bet. Feedback comments, and the guy that I'm sorry really really had feedback before with him. He was like a journal journalist with the Washington Post. He really did. Yeah. So you kind of got everything there because if you're if you're doing politics and race and journalism and you throw religion into that mix on top of it, yeah, you could pretty much expect that that's going to blow up. <laughs> yeah, um, Walter. For me, I obviously post it's an occupational hazard. You know, being a professor of Bible. Right. 
part of me that feels like that's part of my role is to kind of help train, equip, educate, those kinds of things. But then, <coughs> second part of the occupational hazard is more of an Enneagram hazard number one. <laughs> so if I see injustice out there, it's, it's re it is really difficult for me to not say something that I see as injustice. Yeah. Okay. Let me, let me uh, take this to the point of race and class real quick. So I'm on Instagram, and a lot of my Instagram stuff is about films, culture, uh, and talent that I'm interested in getting in my films. So one thing uh, the other day, I noticed that Lipscomb um, has a um, divinity, has a group of students that study divinity, and they got a page. And they, they're talking constantly about the stuff they got going on, something that the campus has all the same around, right? So I was like, wow, this is really, really amazing. And then I look at, um, what, what Otter Creek does, and Josh's sermon title is called Real Talk. And Real Talk is, uh, to be very frank with you, something that was coined several years ago by the hip hop artist uh, Jeezy uh, Drizzy, aka Drake, uh, or J. Cole. So Josh is in, 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 in inter prolating uh, hip hop culture, urban culture inside his ministry. Then, if you look at it, and then wrapping it up uh, concurrently, uh, Josh's sermon is about to be streamed. So the reason I bring all this up is, I look at race and culture, I look at race and class, because I think, wow. When we talk about institutions, like I tell people all the time that if Josh were to quit tomorrow, there's about 10 people here that could just fit, in, <laughs> fit right in, right? Because the, the machine keeps duplicating itself, and they use the, and we use the internet very effectively in doing that. Whereas if you look at other cultures, especially the culture that I came out of as an African-American coming out of a working class neighborhood, not so much. I, I see a lot of people exclaiming the Lord, talking about, oh, it's a good day. Never <laughs> some arbitrary proverb. Or, oh, tell <laughs> all the people you bless them. Or they get a chain letter and you try to respond to it and they sent you with another chain letter. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, I think that the issue that we face uh, as a community, that this community is going to face is, how do we use the internet and how do we use social media effectively as a way to proclaim God's word and not as something to just further uh, encapsulate the machine? Yeah. Because in a lot of ways, I look at Otter Creek and Lipscomb, uh, we're furthering the agenda <laughs> of this institution, but not necessarily furthering the agenda of Christ. Okay. All right, so <coughs> this in, in 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 terms of controversies and sins and you know the, the the fault finding that Spurgeon mentioned, this is one. This is Matthew eight fifteen eighteen fifteen through seventeen, and it's one of kind of your core passages when people start talking about church discipline and how to handle the contentious issues with another person. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they won't listen, you take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Um, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. So how do you apply this? How does this concept apply in the age of social media where so much is public and where, where where does it apply and where does it not apply do you think well that, you know facebook you have 25 closest friends so it's just 
actually, it's, it's kind of Christ-like. You know, two or three witnesses, like tw- two or 25 witnesses, you know, because it, it, Facebook is only interpreting the top 25 friends. <coughs> so in a lot of ways, like, if, even if you look at my own social media activity, or even somebody like you, Walter, you said the best, you're a professor of Bible. So it's still going to be uh, encapsulated in the people that you're closest to. And most of the time, that's the people that you work with. Okay. The issue is how do you do that in a tone that isn't accusatory, defaming, or something like that? And that's yeah. the tough part, because you don't have the, the benefit of people's uh, tones. It's all worth it. Right. Well, actually, I would think that if you're going to apply this in the age of social media, the way that you would at least initially approach this is through a direct message or an IM where it is just between the two of you and you don't play it out and you don't make the accusation in front of your 25 closest friends. Yeah. Well, and I, and I would probably take that even a step farther is that if, 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 you're, if you're in, in a, a sin situation or an offense situation that you take it offline completely. I mean, we talked last week about don't have arguments online. Just if you're going to have the argument, make that start it face to face. Yeah. Um, I've had a really negative experience with someone taking this passage at its word. Right. And what basically became like um, a group of my friends playing out like a game beat down. Um, I'm not, I'm are we are we talking online or in real life? In real life. In real life. Okay, just making so, sure. Because of that experience of basically having a bunch of girlfriends team up against me on something that was not a sin issue, by the way, just let me say that. Um, I think that this path, I, I completely agree with your wife in saying that I don't think that this passage and online should ever go together. Like, okay. This is not. Online is not an appropriate place to address something. I mean, ideally, it's face to face, and then secondary. If you are, if you live far away, make it a, a private message. Yeah. Okay, Richard. Yeah, I had similar experience here. Right. If you're going to post something on Facebook that's controversial and you don't want feedback, don't post it. Right. Because it's not just 
people that think like you, some of you know, a small percent of people agree with what you say, maybe two or three. But some of those folks came online and they got frustrated and they called this guy everything but a child of God for making a comparison. But he blamed us. Yeah. Well and and I would imagine I sick sick my friends are Yeah. He just had the nerve and guts to post something like that. And he got the results of what people thought about. Well, and I would imagine that both of you kind of caught heat because probably there were some people on his side that came after you in the same way that some of the people on your side really. went after him. Not but, really. okay. It, it, um, was, it wasn't that. I, th- I think that the most egregious thing was against him because and what, what he did not realize is that some of the people that were Okay. Well, it, and, 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 and that's it because I, I tend to think of this in terms of, um, for lack of a better word, an, an in real life sin as opposed to an online sin um, and addressing that privately and offline. But, but you bring up an interesting point, which is when, when somebody, when, when a friend, when somebody you know does something online that you feel needs to be addressed, you know, maybe a situation like that is better addressed offline. Even though it's an online thing, it's better addressed offline so that you don't create the issue where everybody... Yeah. Right. You know, if, if you know this, this topic is controversial, leave it alone. I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. Yeah, and when you tag somebody, if you did that, it's on your Yeah. You know, I, I think what I've seen happen with this passage is we've skipped the first two steps. Right. And we've gotten our pitchforks and our torches out. Uh, and really just treated people. My, my initial response is like, it was, it was the same um, of DM them, but I'm, I, I, I'm rolling back on that. I'm going to respectfully disagree because there's something that still gets lost in just the text. You lose inflection, context, intent is easily misinterpreted. And so I would, I, I think it needs to be IRL. Yeah. Um, at least those first two steps need to be IRL. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it boils down to relationships. Well. Right, exactly. You know, strangers, you know, in this anonymity thing, you just been asked up. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> one of my close, close family members and I violently disagree on two topics. Guns and something else. But, um, <laughs> so we had to have a serious sit down and chat about it. And I promised her 
I won't comment, I won't like, because then, of course, she can say everything I do. Sure. And it's like, Jabby. And she didn't ask for that prize, but I gave it. And man, do I want to <laughs> do that sometime, but it's not worth hurting someone I love. Yeah. And value the relationship. So that's kind of a second Right. Mm-hmm. Level of this. No, that's that. That's exactly, and and that's kind of the tension I think that we live in online. And this, that's one of the sort of the through lines of of this subject is the tension that we live in is between maintaining that relationship. And sometimes that means not saying anything, in, you know, especially in front of other people, and addressing a real problem that's happened publicly. And that's that. Yeah, and 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 not everything should be done the same way. Not everything can be done the same way. But that's those are both great points. So in scripture, we really see two scenarios where we've got a problem within the church community that needs to be addressed. The first, Matthew 18, kind of addresses, which is sins inside a local church. So think, think, you know, think your friends here, think Otter Creek for this one. The second is Galatians, uh, it's kind of covered by Galatians 2, 11 through 14, and that's heresies and teachings that go beyond an individual congregation that maybe have implications for the, the, the church community at large. And the, um, a book that I've recommended several times in this class, and I'm actually going to quote it uh, throughout this class, uh, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You by Tony Reinke, uh, looks at a couple of different things, uh, look, looks at those two and makes these recommendations. So sins inside a local church, those include major doctrinal errors. You've got a preacher preaching something within the congregation that is just flat out wrong, major moral failures, whether that's congregation members, leadership, whatever, and a pers- or persistent and schismatic divisiveness found within a local church in its people or its leaders. And what Reinke says is that those kinds of things call for private rebuke rather than public exposure. Uh, response begins with the person wronged, then with other church members, church leaders, finally, if you need it, the entire local church, and then resolution ends in acquittal, repentance, or church-wide rebuke, possibly excommunication if it goes that far. Um, and, and one thing that I think is important whenever we're, whenever we're dealing with any kind of issue like this, whether it's in within the church, in real life, or online, that every step that you take should have a resolution and ideally, if possible, a reconciliation in mind rather than just being a reaction. If you're, if you're going to respond to something, respond with a goal in mind rather than just in the heat of the moment. Mm-hmm. Yes. About a week ago, I'm in a community of people, uh, sports people, and this uh, this lady called out this other lady for having an affair with her husband. Oh. So I was like, grab the popcorn, because you know, in my mind, I'm like, I watch it, like right. I watch a sitcom, 
And uh, it, just just so I'm clear, in real life or online are we talking here? This is in real life. But it was online. It, okay, the, con the conversation is online. But I okay. Right. And I see them almost as characters. You know, it's 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 kind of like I, I watch it. Yeah. And I don't. You know, in in my office at work, it seems like the older people really get emotionally involved in a comment. Mm -hmm. Like it might ruin their day. The younger people laugh more at it and it just because they see it more as maybe I did see that comment that it's like a character or character right they don't they don't take it to heart as much as some of our older generation does especially when they see things that that it doesn't impact them on the, to their bones like right. they see like an older person it will ruin their day and that's what they're gonna talk about at the office all day long and it, whatever that fragile topic is but you know, so, so when you talk about sin, that's such a hard thing because I, I think from a generational standpoint, that's going to mean something completely different from one generation possibly to another wherever they're involved in on it. Um, yeah, and, and, and sins may have not necessarily been the best or most inclusive word here because I think it does apply to what we think of traditionally as sin but but also you know just simply divisiveness which is kind of a more systematic sin than a personal failing. I think that part of I mean because you're saying it was possibly a generational thing where older maybe an older generation is, is you know they take it to heart and they get emotional I think there's been a desensitization to to issues and problems, and 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 so nobody feels the hurt anymore. They do watch it unfold as a sitcom. I mean, I kind of yeah. it's like unfortunately, and, and we worked on this when it happened. But I think about even something like the footage of 9-11 that played over and over and over. And if you remember, our boys were, were small when that happened and the, and the girls weren't even around yet. And we wanted to kind of let them know what was going on in the world because they were going to hear it. And without really providing context, which was bad on our part, we showed them and they wanted to talk about it. And their first gut reaction in seeing the plane explode in the side of the building was, cool mm. because they had seen so many action movies and things that blow up and then everybody walks away and it's fine yeah there's been a desensitization if we hear somebody call out somebody online for doing something terrible or whatever and, and i'm as guilty of it as anybody else and, and your reaction is oh let's watch this unfold and see what happens next yeah it's celebrity gossip or whatever there's a desensitization because it's, and, and that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and I think both of both reactions that you're talking about come with their good things and their bad things. Because for for that younger for for the older generation that responds, you know, I mean, that's that that shows a heart that's tender toward those sorts of things. On the other hand, it can go too far and obsess over something and read more into it than is there, which is the good side of the younger generation that you see kind of laughing it off because 
they can take that a little bit more in the spirit of what it actually means in the grander scheme of things, which is, you know, Facebook comment doesn't necessarily mean all that much, but the flip side of that is it can be desensitizing in the way that viewing a, you know, a, a, a personal struggle as a character thing rather than a person thing is you know that I mean you, you always you always want to remember that these these stories have people behind them I guess my big point was that well, the point that I was trying to make is if we're going to talk about this yeah. online to a younger well to a generation that maybe is not as impacted by it it'd be a very tough place to have it because I don't even know that they would even see it as real as much right. or respond in a way that it, 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 it's just mainly just snipey trolling I, I find a lot so I mean it's I, I can't really have a, a I, I've never had my opinion changed off of something I've read in social media I don't think I mean I I, I see everything as polarization yeah I, I don't see anything as like I already know what you're gonna say I, I compartmentalize and I just I move on you yeah know, I don't know that I'm gonna have a real conversation about sin online right so two, two examples about the uh, sin side of local church the, the situation uh, with the, the race class that we had a couple of years ago with Brother Hunter and some of the, and, uh, your criticism to some of the leaders, I'm going to be very, very frank with you. It was one of the most entertaining experiences I've ever had on Facebook. And I hate to admit that in front of a group of Christians, but I ate that up. I was getting up in the morning and it been like, hey, what are they going to say about each other? I'm loving it. And I, I, at a certain point, I was like, man, these two brothers could actually like cuss each other out and get to fight. This is horrible. And but I, because of peer pressure, I didn't jump in and say, "Hey, we need to uh, sit down and y'all take approach and get a cover." I was like, "No, what are they going to say about each other?" And I think that Nancy, you're right. I think the polarization in America and because of the way the American media has set things up, us against them, it, it's, it's really easy to get caught up if you're a spectator watching the slaughter. The other thing is something that happened this weekend to me. Um, right now in urban culture, uh, in American culture with the heroin addiction and the opioid crisis, young, youth culture, a lot of it's about drugs. And in hip-hop culture, a lot of these hip-hop artists are openly talking about their drug addictions and telling them they're having fun with drugs. So J. Cole dropped an album about two days ago, and the entire album he's talking about being on dope and how it's hard and it's terrible. And it is one of the most profound albums I've ever heard because it's difficult to talk that kind of way and it be entertaining. So J. Cole, when he put the album out, um, I was very moved by it. And I put up and I made some analogies with uh, J. Cole and Nas, who's a legendary hip hop artist. Uh, my friends went in and I got compared to Ja Rule. <laughs> and now, if you know anything about hip hop, Ja Rule's not necessarily a, a heroic hip hop figure. That's okay, this is, this is funny. But one of the songs uh, that on the J. Cole album uh, that I thought was very profound, it's really, it's the life of my father. Because my father experimented with drugs, he was in the 70s, uh, and I'm very emotional about it because my father, if he had never experimented with drugs, his whole life would have been different. And I put up a line, but, oh, J. Cole's talking about my dad. And then I put Jesus. And one of my friends put up, oh, Angel, was your dad's name Jesus? Now, <laughs> yeah, and he's like, hey, Jesus, yeah. And so I was like, wow, you know, I, I, could, I could easily say, man, this is personal. I'm trying to be, but, but what good would that have done? Because at the end of the day, I would have had to go on some long, emotional rant. Mm -hmm. 
think one of the problems in America is there's no, everybody's got to have the last word. Even with the current president, whether you think about his politics or not, some of the things going on within the economy have to do with they engage in conversations that are so insane and ridiculous that they try to out-ridiculous each other. So, and I think that now you've got a lot of people's lives on the line because of that. So I think in a lot of ways, humility, I think a good Bible verse for all this stuff, is just being humble. Yeah. And just, I mean, taking one, I mean, I hate to use this tonight, but taking one for the team. Yeah. Yeah, that's that. That's a great point. So let's um, move on to the the second passage that I mentioned, Galatians two eleven through fourteen, and this is talking more of of a more of of a situation that that ranges beyond just the individual congregation. So Paul says, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So what's going on here is something that has gone from the local to a much larger scope very quick because um, Cephas is doing one thing and then this other group comes in and he starts to lean toward that group and and then Barnabas is led astray and so it's just it, it becomes a whole big thing. It's a larger problem than just one small part of the community. And in this situation, um, you know, Paul Paul goes public because this is something that affects everybody. It's not just something that affects the group. And so what Reinke says is with heresies outside a local church, which can include false teachings published in persuasive books, articles from prominent writers, public sermons, seminary teaching, denominational stances, error was, errors with reach beyond one local church then. Those call for public, abu- uh, public rebuke, um, and a, but that a skillful response to false teaching is an essential function of qualified church leaders, but here it seems best done by leaders with widely appreciated authority, and then the resolution appears to end in public exposure. So here, the question becomes not so much should this be done publicly, because if it's, if it's an issue that affects the public, clearly you're going to have to go public with that at some point. The question then becomes whose, whose response is appropriate? And one of, the things that, one of the things that's great about social media is that you hear from a wide array of perspectives because you've got a wide variety of opinions. Problem with social media is that everybody's got, you know, everybody's got that opinion. Everybody feels it's important to share it. Like William was saying, everybody wants to have the last word. So the issue here is not so much should this be public, should, should these rebukes be public, but Whose job is it? Whose role is it? Who can who can actually help things by making those rebukes public? Um, there is a third modern option 
thanks largely to social media, that is is kind of a, a weird combination of these two. Um, and that's in situations where there are allegations of church cover-ups of leaders involved in some kind of moral failure but keeping their public role and rebuking so rebuking prominent Christian leaders for asserted moral failures. Um, if you've seen the, the hashtag MeToo tweets, you may have also seen a sort of the Christian version of that hashtag church too. Um, and, and this is in, in one sense these are the kinds of sins that you would want to address privately in a normal situation but because the people involved are such public figures in many cases with a national or international reach it's it's kind of a hybrid of the two um, have have all of you seen the kind of stuff that I'm talking about when I say hashtag church two okay so so you've seen you, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've all heard of the me too movement okay so the, when when the me too tweets and posts really started in the fall of last year they were followed by um, people by women from the church talking about their experiences inside their congregations and how they often reflected or were uh, in, in some cases worse than the responses that were happening in the professional world or in the political world. Um, some of these are pretty troubling so I'll just I'll warn you um, up front. Um, and I don't know how well those read from back there. Um, but so I'll... Um, can you all read them or... In the back. In the back? Okay. So this is from a woman named Carrie. said, I was 11. I went to the restroom. I was followed by the youth pastor. He grabbed my arm. I was lucky enough to fight him off and escape. I just wonder how many girls weren't so lucky. Hashtag church two. Uh, Charlotte says the church slash purity culture is the reason why I didn't know a guy at my Christian college had harassed and assaulted me until years after it happened. None of my college friends know because I'm afraid of retaliation and judgment. Hashtag church too. Shannon at a friend's youth group in response to a talk on purity and modesty I went with tears in my eyes to a female volunteer I, sh I shared that I had been raped and felt shame about not being pure. She responded by asking if I had repented of my role in what happened. Hashtag church too. Natalie, sometimes I wonder if any of the men who were complicit in writing letters of character recommendation on my rapist's behalf ever consider the weight of that decision. They are all fathers and church leaders. I hope their, I hope their children never receive the same discompassion. Hashtag church too. I interned at a church in college, says Laura. A male pastor that made it clear to me that women cannot be pastors came up behind me and started playing with my hair. Hashtag church too. Um, the shaming can be subtle but memorable. I'm overweight. Okay. The Southern Baptist preacher in a small Texas town I lived in saw me walking my dog and said, the dog wants the walk, but you need it. Hashtag church too. Um, following, this is from Elizabeth, following the hashtag Church2 
Church Too Hash with Interest, many Me Too stories at the hands of the church. And me, I was made to sign a purity contract at age 11 and witnessed a man confess from the pulpit having sex with a child. He was praised for his bravery, no further action. And then Abby says, if I can ask anything of Christian Twitter today, it's that the Church 2 tweets be received rather than reacted to. Do not concern yourselves with the intent of those sharing their stories, but with the steps you can take to ensure the horrors done to them are not repeated. And there's, there's, two, there's two conversations um, to be had here. Um, one is the conversation of how to be a church and how to change, if necessary, church culture so that this kind of stuff doesn't happen. Um, and, and that is a much deeper conversation than the one that we're trying to have in the social media class, which is when this sort of stuff starts to happen, how do you respond online either to people like this or to the trend um, and so uh, also from Tony Reinke's book social media can be used to confront major sin patterns and public heresies yes but when it comes to the dirt we have on one another we just walk with the greatest care Christians of all people should be most vigilant not to unnecessarily shovel one another's dirt into public view um, one of the things that you might have noticed with the church to Twitter posts, and this was pretty much the case in almost every instance of those that I saw, um, especially since some of those were things that were years old, nobody in those posts named the person. They didn't, name the, they didn't identify the church, they didn't identify the person. They were really addressing the, the issue rather than the specific. They were they were they were they were dealing with the trend rather than they were they were showing how their personal story went to the larger trend that everybody that that so many people were sharing, but they weren't trying to expose a particular person, um, and and I think that's very important and also a very fine line to walk because the two things that can happen with this, you know, we've talked about that tension where, where you live and where the church lives is you've got this as being the best of what the church can offer and you've got this which was a response to the first tweet that shows what can happen when it goes off rail. So what the church can offer the Me Too movement? The gospel. A biblical bias toward the broken. Member care. Formative and corrective church discipline and a theology of the Imago Dei. What the church can offer the sex offender movement is a safe place free from condemnation, a biblical bias toward forgiving the offender, which in, in a bad culture goes to confidentiality and shunning of those who gossip your secrets, a theology of patriarchy and religious law over civil law. So the same place that can be a great place for victims 
also constantly runs the risk of being a safe place for the offenders because it can be so easy to hide. I, I, I have, uh, so this is about no Caitlin Shelter or Brittany Pastor. Caitlin Shelter is a, kind of an act, church Christ kind of female activist, talks a lot about the women's role. Brittany Pascoe is doing the same thing, she's doing it from the African American church side. In a lot of ways, our collective, our body, really, 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 really is anti-woman. And the, the social media is the only place they can talk about this. And I'm going to be honest with you, I think you have to end up cracking some eggshells to, to get a good, healthy omelet. And I think in a lot of ways, the culture has to be changed. Mm -hmm. Because some of the things with Caitlin, I never even thought about. But it would take a woman to say these things. And out of the African-American church experience that I grew up in, they never said anything. So Brittany, when she talks about these things from the African-American church perspective and how an anti-woman, I had to really think about it. I was like, wow, I, I never, it never even crossed my mind. But social, there is no other place inside our collective where women have a voice to speak. So social media is the only place to do it. And it is going to come off offensive. It is going to ruffle a lot of feathers. But I think it's the only way that, that, that you can get any kind of move, any kind of forward progress towards some healing. Okay. Um, we are at the end of our time today. There's, um, I, I, I do have some questions, and this is all going somewhere. I didn't really mean to leave it right here, um, but that's where we're going to leave it today. Um, think, think about some of the things that we've talked about today. Think about how, and look this week when you're on social media, look for how people talk about religion and sin and spiritual matters and controversies within the church. And let's talk a little bit more about that next week and we'll also have some questions to, to discuss in the class about how to approach these things. So thank you guys very much.